Amen. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, since we're all sharing love, um, let, let me just uh, thank you as well for uh, your dedication to come out. Uh, you, know, the, you know, back in the old days, they used to have conferences, uh, and they kind of stopped having them. Do you know why they stopped having them? Because people stopped coming, <laughs> that's why. And so, man, the fact that uh, you have been faithful, and as uh, Pastor Jeff said, I, I, I know it can be a tiring week, but man, I salute you. Uh, thank you for that. Um, I, you know, this is, uh, you know, and I know this is being transmitted in other places, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, this is, this is where Sherry and I raised our kids. Uh, we spent 25 years. That was, yeah, that's over half my life, almost. Um, <laughs> and so if, if I croak tonight, my, they're going to throw my bones in T County, man. Uh, yeah, this is, this is where I'll, I'll be thrown. And so it's a joy to be able to be on this side of the dirt um, tonight. Um, but I also, uh, I do want to thank Pastor Jeff. Uh, it, is a, it is a very unique privilege uh, for somebody that has been a pastor somewhere to be able to come back into the, that realm. Uh, that doesn't happen very much either because... The new pastor doesn't <laughs> invite the old guy in. Um, and so uh, I, I salute you, brother, and uh, respect you like crazy. And uh, <laughs> yeah, he is a, a man of God that knows the book, gives that book, and praise God for that. And amen. And I, I love how you love your pastor. Uh, that is tremendous. Okay, so this is our this is our last night. We've been. Uh, I, I know that some of you have probably been out of town. You've coming in. You haven't been able to be a part. Obviously, we're not going to rehash everything that we've talked about. But on, on, in the evening sessions, we've been trying to look at the things that are immediately ahead for those of us uh, in the church as far as prophecy is concerned. And so on Sunday night, we, we began talking about the rapture when Christ comes for his saints. Then on Monday night, we did a, a little unique look at the judgment seat of Christ when Christ judges his saints. And then last night, we looked at the second coming of Christ when Christ comes with his saints. And now tonight we're going to be looking at the millennium when Christ reigns with his saints. And I'd like to invite you to take your Bibles and if you would turn to Revelation chapter 20. And uh, some of the other nights we've been, you know, in, in a lot of different places. We uh, will have all of the cross references uh, up on the screen so that we don't have to take the time to turn. But we are going to be focused tonight on Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. 
And uh, this is a passage where, where God breaks down the millennium. Okay, let me just say this because we do have some middle schoolers in the room and we also may have some uh, new believers in the room. When we talk about the millennium, uh, the word milli means thousand. We're talking about the thousand year reign of Christ on the earth. And, and what the Apostle John does in this passage is he breaks that thousand year period down into four events. And I want us now to just dive into those events tonight. The first event is found in the first three verses of chapter 20, as John describes, first of all, the removal of Satan. The removal of Satan, which is absolutely fantastic. I I, I, I want you to look at the first three verses, if you would. These are actually three of my favorite verses in the Bible. We won't need to take a long time to to look at this first point because we we looked at these verses in some detail last night because what John's describing here is one of the first things that our Lord Jesus Christ will do at his second coming that actually ushers in the millennial kingdom. But to, to really understand these first three verses, and, and again, we'll just almost review some of the things that we talked about last night so that we can just get these in the context as we work our way through this entire passage. But to really understand these first three verses, like we talked about last night, we've got to understand what has taken place for the last 6,000 years And what has taken place for the last 6,000 years is Satan has been constantly jerking man's chain. And what John shows us here is at the beginning of the millennium, and this is why I love this passage, verse 1 says that our Lord Jesus Christ is going to jerk Satan's chain. Again, if we're going to understand this passage we got to understand that for the last 6,000 years, Satan has sought to lay hold of man, and he has laid hold of man. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 26 tells us that in our lost condition, he held us captive in his snare at his will. What I love about this passage is John shows us here is that at the beginning of the millennium, verse 2 says that our Lord Jesus Christ is going to lay hold of him and our Lord Jesus Christ is going to take him captive at his will, the Lord Jesus Christ's will, and he's going to cast his sorry behind into a snare that verse 3 calls the bottomless pit. Can somebody say amen there? Okay, and we've got to understand, if we're going to understand these first three verses, we've got to understand that for the last 6,000 years, Satan has sought to keep man bound in his sin so that ultimately man will be cast into hell. And what John shows us here is that at the beginning of the millennium, The end of verse 2 says that our Lord Jesus Christ is going to bind him 
and cast his sorry behind right into the big fat middle of hell. Can somebody say amen? <laughs> and we've got to, if we're going to understand these verses, we've got to keep in mind that for the last 6,000 years, according to Job chapter 1 and verse 7, First uh, Peter 5 and verse 8, we've got to understand that for 6,000 years, Satan has been going to and fro in the earth, walking up and down in it, seeking whom he may devour. And what John shows us here is that at the beginning of the millennium, verse 3 says that he's going to shut him up, he's going to cast him into the bottomless pit, he's going to slam the door, and he's going to seal him in there for a thousand years. And if that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. I mean, huh, you just come out of verse 3, and you just got to, <clears throat> why, why don't you try to do that right now? <clears throat> Whatever that means. Okay, but that's the first event that John shows us in this passage, the removal of Satan. Can you believe how fast I did that point, y'all? It's because we took an hour to do it last night, okay? But the removal of Satan is how this thing actually begins. And then in verses 4 through 6, he shows us a second thing. Number two, the reign of saints. First of all, the removal of Satan, and now the reign of saints. And John says in verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. That's the one you want to be a part of. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And understand that it shakes out this way. This is letter A in your outline. In the millennium, the Lord Jesus Christ will sit on the throne. He will sit on the throne. It's kind of like those of us in this part of the world refer to that team in Columbus as the Ohio State University. Don't forget it. But even better than that is the one that will sit on the throne. Obviously, he is the supreme ruler, and he alone is the su supreme ruler. Re Revelation 19 and verse 16 he says that he is the king of kings, that he is the lord of lords. And so you know where he sits? He sits on the throne of thrones. 
Luke chapter 1 and verse 32 calls it the throne of his father, David. Matthew 19, 28 calls it the throne of his glory. And so in the millennium, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who is ruling on the throne. And then letter B, in the millennium, the saints will sit on thrones. The saints will sit on thrones. Look at verse 4 again. John says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And of course, the obvious question is, is who is this they and them that he's talking about here? The way I ask it in your notes is, who are these saints on thrones? And the reality is, this passage does give us an idea of some of those who are on the thrones. But again, we have the complete revelation of God in our hands. And the way that we understand Scripture is by comparing Scripture with Scripture. And, And so by comparing Scripture with Scripture... We're able to tell who it actually is that John was seeing here by looking in the Bible at who actually has received the promise to rule and reign with him. And as we go to the Word of God and we begin to do that, we learn, first of all, that these people on these thrones who have been given authority by the Lord Jesus Christ to exercise judgment in this thousand-year period, are first of all, the Old Testament saints. The Old Testament saints. In the Old Testament book of Daniel, chapter 7 and verse 27, Daniel said, "...in the, the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High." whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. And of course, in the context, these are the Old Testament saints. And then secondly, by looking at those who have been given the promise of sitting on thrones in the Bible, we also learned that those on these thrones that John saw are also the twelve. The twelve. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 27 and 28, it says, Then answered Peter and said unto him, said unto Jesus, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, that's the twelve, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when The Son of Man shall sit on, what? The throne of his glory. Ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And so, a second group of people that we see that will be the ones on these thrones in the millennium will be the twelve who are sitting on the twelve tribes, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And then thirdly, we know that these on these thrones that John saw are also the church age saints. Church age saints. That's, that's, that's all of us, y'all. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2 asks, Do ye not know that the saints, and again, now this is church age saints, this is epistle written by the apostle Paul to the church, do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 10, the, the, the raptured church, okay, that's where we are in Revelation chapter 5. Is, this is before we, we come out of heaven with him at his second coming. And, and what is happening while the tribulation is taking place on the earth, we are in his presence and we're singing, y'all. I love it. Revelation 5, 10 tells us the words of the song that we'll be singing then. And here's the words. Thou hast made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall, in just a little while, we'll be heading back down on white horses to reign on the earth. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 17, Paul tells us that that if we are God's children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together, which is, of course, what will happen in the millennium. Paul reiterates this, this same point in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12 when he says, If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. Okay, and I think it's important for us to, to, to notice that this is the second time now that Paul is letting us know that our actual reigning with him and our being joint heirs with Christ in his glory is directly connected to our suffering on the earth in these lives that you and I are living right now. And the point is this. The Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth, and in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 9, the devil offered him a crown. And our Lord Jesus Christ said, thank you very kindly, but I'll take a cross. And listen, y'all, by taking that cross, do you know what he did? He redeemed an entire kingdom of kings and priests and in the millennium he'll be wearing a crown because he took the cross in fact revelation 19 12 says in that day he'll be wearing many crowns because we saw at the judgment seat of christ that's how we will be rewarded but we will understand in no uncertain terms in that day in his presence that we certainly aren't worthy of those crowns and we cast them at his feet and i don't know how he's going to get all of them on his head but i think those are the many crowns that he's going to be wearing at that time but the lord jesus christ tells us to take up his cross and suffer with him and the devil comes along and offers us a crown 
And what do we do? You know how Paul talked about the perilousness of the last days? You know what I think the peril of the last days is? You know what the plight of Laodicea actually is? The fact that we somehow have embraced a crossless Christianity. A, a Christianity that bears no reproach. What? <laughs> Would you listen to Hebrews 13, verses 12 and 13? Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without or outside the gate. Let us go therefore. And I do understand the, the tribulation context of this, but from a certainly a devotional standpoint for those of us in the church age. Let us go forth therefore unto him without or outside the camp, bearing his reproach. And though as Laodiceans, we, we don't like to hear it, hey, y'all, it's not time for the crown yet. This is the time right now for cross-bearing. I, I know we all know 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And, and, and as Laodiceans, I think we've just got to come to grips with the fact that 2 Timothy 3.12 is just as true in the 21st century as it was in the 1st century. The world is just as opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ as it ever was. Because the, the God of this world is still just as opposed to Christ as he ever was. And listen, the way that it has worked historically, this is what Jesus was trying to get us to see. This is what the Apostle Paul was trying to get us to see. That the way that it shakes out is anybody that is born again, that actually allows Christ to rule and reign inside of them before he rules and reigns on the earth, but in this present life. And anybody that reminds the devil of Christ by manifesting godly character, by manifesting godly deeds, Satan can't take it. Do you understand how much he hates Christ? And when we in our lives remind him of Christ, there's a price to pay. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24, Paul said, who now, and coming off of verse 23, the who is he, him. <laughs> I, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Listen to this. And fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. And I want you to notice that phrase, that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ. What is behind of the afflictions of Christ? You know what Paul's actually telling us here? What he's telling us, y'all, is that the devil is not finished 
afflicting and persecuting and crucifying Christ. Oh yeah, he did it, man. But even after Christ died, he still had it all pent up in him. It wasn't enough. And Paul says here, let me tell you something, y'all. He says, I, I find great joy in being able to bear in my body the afflictions that are meant for him. Because on the cross, he took the affliction in his body that was meant for me. I'll tell you what, that attitude will make you something different than a Laodicean and a Laodicean age, y'all. And there will be incredible repercussions of that in the millennium. The other night, in the judgment seat of Christ thing that we did, I, I, I tried to communicate this. I, 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 I'm not so sure that it's actually struck brain on a, a lot of, of folks, but do you, do you really understand what's actually been happening ever since we got saved, y'all? Do you understand what's happening in this life is right now, We are developing a capacity in eternity to worship and love and glorify our Lord. If you're saved, you are saved, you are going to enter into the millennial kingdom, and I guarantee on to you, you will glorify him, and you will love him, and you will worship him. But I will tell you, there are some people that are going to be doing that on a whole different level because of what their life was now in this period of time where we are developing our capacity to worship and love him and glorify him in eternity. And and listen, y'all. Right now in this present life, do you understand that we're all developing the extent of our ruling and reigning with him in the millennium? And and we're developing both of those, listen, by the degree to which we allow him to sanctify us and by the degree to which we are willing to suffer with him do you do you is that connecting with you you know i i think most christians have the idea that you know hey we all received the free gift of salvation and now we're all going to go to heaven when we die in the sweet by and by okay and i think that we think that it's all equal And we come across these things in the, in the New Testament about taking up our cross 
and following him. And, and we tell ourselves, yeah, you know, one of these days, I'm, I'm going to get to that. As if it's optional equipment. We, we come across commands like, be ye holy, for I am holy. And, and we tell ourselves, yeah, one of these days, man, I'm going to have to really get busy with that. As if it's optional equipment. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 that we're to have such knowledge of the Son of God, listen, unto a perfect man. I love the way that he goes on to describe this. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Do you understand? That's what we're supposed to be doing right now. Gaining such knowledge of him so that Christ the way that the book of Galatians says it, is fully formed in us. Yeah, we got him. We're saved. We're going to heaven after the rapture. We're coming back with him. We are going to be on the earth for this thousand-year period. But all of these things he's been trying to say to us matter, y'all. That's what that judgment seat is all about determining your capacity to praise him in eternity your the extent that he will entrust to you the ability to rule and reign with him oh man that's worth having a prophecy conference over so that we actually understand this stuff matters okay but then there's another group who are also given the promise of ruling and reigning with christ and listen now this group we don't have to go outside of the passage and and look at other commands given to them this is right here they're identifiable in revelation chapter 20 and these are the tribulation saints the tribulation saints. Look with me at verse 4 again. John says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. Here we go now. And, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. Okay, now he's now talking about the tribulation saints. They were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. And you know about... 30 years ago, if you were preaching this, or if you were listening to this, you, you, you would probably go, really? Beheaded? What kind of execution would that be in the 21st century? Well, we get it now, don't we? I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And what John describes here is something that will be taking place all through the tribulation period, and I want you to get it in, in your notes this way. Under the reign of the Antichrist in the tribulation period, saints will be martyred 
and he, he lays out for us four reasons. First of all, because of the witness or testimony of Jesus. Letter B, they'll be martyred because they faithfully proclaim the word of God. Letter C, they'll be martyred because they refuse to worship the beast or his image. And then letter D, they'll be martyred because they refuse to take his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And what John is letting us know is that in the millennium, they'll be resurrected and given thrones. Okay, now... Man, I hope, I, I hope you can catch the heart of this. I hope I can communicate the heart of, of this. But I, I think that those of us in this, the last days of the Laodicean church period, y'all, I think we would do well to recognize the caliber of the people that we're going to be entering the millennium with, which means the people many of them that will be following in the judgment seat of Christ, okay? But these are the people that we will be entering the millennium with. We just talked about the Old Testament saints that will be upon thrones in the millennium. And, and, and have, you ever, have you ever seen how God talked about those Old Testament saints in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 35 to 38? The middle of verse 35 tells us that many of them, oh, listen, were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourging, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, Sawed in half, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. And, and, and it's like God just has to get a little commentary in there. Of whom the world was not worthy. Smiley face. God was way before his time. <laughs> they wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. How about that, my Laodicean brother and sister? These are the people we're going to be hanging out with in the millennium, these people are going to be on thrones. <laughs> and do you know what actually happened to the other group that we looked at? The twelve? All of them but John died as a martyr, and he died in exile on the Isle of Patmos. Some pretty major suffering going on there. How about in the, in the church age? Do you understand that there have been well in excess over 50? million martyrs in the last 2,000 years of the church age? And we just looked at these tribulation saints. 
And as Laodicean believers, I think we might ought to consider that we're going to enter into the millennium with people who literally had their heads lopped off because they actually witnessed for Christ and because they faithfully proclaimed the word of God and because they wouldn't bow to the beast and they wouldn't take his mark as compared, dare I say, to Laodicean believers who seldom witness for Christ, who seldom, if ever, proclaim his word, who more times than not bow at Satan's system of evil called the world, who more times than not are marked by the same sinfulness as people who don't even know Christ. Wow. My Laodicean brother and sister, we better shake ourselves and recognize what this thing of the millennium is actually going to be like. Hmm. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. But, but the point is, all of these groups of people, this is what John is saying here, will physically be resurrected at the beginning of the millennium to sit on thrones and be given judgment. And verse 5 says, But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Okay, now, now listen carefully. What he's saying here is that the resurrection of all of these saints who will rule and reign with Christ, this is what God calls the first resurrection. And that's letter C on your outline. The resurrection of these saints in the millennium is called the first resurrection. And to help us to identify that biblically, recognize that in Luke chapter 14 and verse 14, Acts chapter 24 and verse 15, it's also called the resurrection of the just. In John chapter 5 and verse 29, it's also called the resurrection of life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 21 to 23, it's also called the resurrection of they that are Christ's at his coming. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 35 that we just looked at, it's also called a better resurrection. And just to make sure we really get it, let me call a few things to your attention. This is under the note in your outline. The first resurrection isn't spiritual, it's physical. Okay, now according to Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, and the, the, these verses aren't going to be there, but according to Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 and Colossians chapter 2 and, and verse 12, do you understand we've already experienced our spiritual resurrection the moment that we were saved? We called upon the name of the Lord to save us upon hearing the message of the gospel. The Spirit of God baptized us, immersed us, placed us into Christ's death and his burial and his resurrection. 
we have already experienced our spiritual resurrection as he raised us from the dead by the same power that God put into operation when he raised Christ from the dead. We've experienced that. The first resurrection isn't spiritual. It's physical. But do note, there are two physical resurrections. Okay, this is why he calls this the first resurrection. There are two physical resurrections, and they are the resurrections of two completely different groups of people. One of the resurrections is for those who are saved, and one of the resurrections is for those who are unsaved. And note also, according to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 14, the second resurrection is, also, is associated with the second death. The second resurrection is associated with the second death, and I'll comment on that in just a second. And notice also that these two resurrections are a thousand years apart. The first resurrection at the beginning of the millennium, the second resurrection at the end. And, and look at what John says in verse 6 about those who are part of the first resurrection. He says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such, okay, those in the first resurrection, on such, the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And notice how John describes here the blessedness of those who have a part in the first resurrection. Notice, first of all, he talks about their state. He says that they are happy or they are blessed. And, and then next, John shows us their standing. They are holy. And we've been given glorified bodies at this point, y'all. You understand that glorified body is incapable of sinning. Holy. And notice next, their security. Unaffected by the second death. Hallelujah. Okay, verse 14 defines the second death as the lake of fire. Wow. That's a pretty good promise right there. I'd love to have that security, and we got it, y'all. And number four, John then shows us their service, that he says they will be priests of God and of Christ who will be constantly worshiping God and offering up spiritual sacrifices. And then he shows us, number five, their supervision. They shall reign with Christ a thousand years. That's for those that experience the first resurrection. Those that are experienced the second resurrection are cast into the lake of fire. And so John shows us the removal or the, the reign of saints. Okay, so we've seen the removal of Satan. We've seen the reign of saints. 
And then next, John shows us in verse 7 the return of Satan. He shows us the return of Satan. Sounds like a movie title, doesn't it? The return of Satan. Starring. Okay. Look look with me at verse 7. And and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Say what? Are you kidding me? You had him where you wanted him. What is this about? I, I, I don't know how your brain works. Do you, does it work like that? I mean, I, I, I read that and I go, why? And that's letter A on your notes. Why would God allow him to return? And, okay, li- listen. This isn't random, man. The thing that we've got to understand is this, that there will be some people of both Jews and Gentiles who are going to enter into the millennium in their normal human bodies. Okay? And there will be children that will be born in the millennium. And and with the changes that will be taking place in the earth, remember Peter talked about, we looked at this verse last night in in Acts chapter 3 and verse 21, he, he referred to this time as the times of restitution of all things and so in the millennium the earth won't be dealing with stuff like sickness and and disease and and so you know what's going to actually happen people are going to be living in the millennium as long as they were living back before the flood you ever go back there and ever see how long those old boys were were living okay And, and so catch this with a longer life what will automatically come along with that, since there will be people that will be in their normal bodies that will be having children, who are be, be having children, and with a longer time to procreate, what that means is on the earth during the millennium, there is going to be a major population explosion. But what that also means is that all, listen, all of the people who are born into this world, as perfect as it will be then, are going to be born into this world just like you and I were born, with a sin nature. Now, their environment, the life, that they will be living will certainly be different than the one that we've been living. But I want you to notice in in verse 3 and verse 8 and verse 10, it talks about how Satan is constantly, as long as he's on this earth, y'all, he just is constantly deceiving people and deceiving the nations. Okay, And during the millennium, that entire thousand-year period, he is going to be in the bottomless pit. So listen, with, with Satan absent, the people in those normal human bodies on the earth, their existence will be without deception. And with Christ present... It will be, according to Romans chapter 14 and verse 12, it will will be a kingdom of constant righteousness 
and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. But listen, y'all, as different as it will be, realize this. In every dispensation, okay, at any period of time in which God has been working, every man must make his own choice of whether or not he will follow God. And at the end of the millennium, Satan is going to be loose, just like he has for every other person who had to make the choice to call on Jesus or not. He'll be loosed just long enough for all of the people who have never exercised their will in making a choice to make their choice. And hey, praise the Lord, man. There's going to be many people who are born in the millennium who will make the same choice that the people in this room tonight have made, and they will choose Christ. But what is just absolutely mind-boggling is that there will be many who lived their entire lives in the utopian conditions of the millennium who, when Satan is loosed, will allow themselves to be deceived by him and will follow him in rebellion to the Lord Jesus Christ that they have been able to see sitting on a throne in all of his glory. And what that lets us know, I think this is important, is that eliminating sin isn't as simple as changing the nature of man's environment. Because man's problem isn't the nature of his environment. His problem is the nature of his heart. And so John Lennon can imagine anything that he jolly well wants to imagine about a utopia where we have changed the environment. And we're going to end up in the same hellhole that the world is in right now. Because the problem is the sin nature in our hearts. Again, I, I, I don't know how your brain works, but I, I read verse 7, and I, I ask another question. How, and that's letter B, how could man possibly revolt? I, I, I mean, isn't that just crazy, y'all? How in the world could that possibly happen? But, but then I, I, I step back, and, and I, 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 I have to recognize that, you know what? We, we've seen this before, haven't we? Because we, we go back to the time when Lucifer had a throne on the earth, seeing the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory before there had ever been sin or iniquity present. And Lucifer rebelled against the Lord Jesus Christ and in his rebellion took a third of the angels with him. How did that happen? In the same way it's going to happen in the millennium. We can go back to a time in the garden where God takes Adam from the dust of the earth and gives to him his image and likeness and from his very creation creates him to 
to enjoy a personal, intimate love relationship with him. And he is placed into a perfect environment. And he willfully rebelled against God, choosing what Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6 says is his own way. How did that happen? Same way it's going to happen in the millennium. We can go back to a time when Jesus was physically present on the earth during his earthly ministry. And we just stop to think about how many thousands of people saw him, heard him, touched him, that he touched, were loved by him. And when it was all said and done in the upper room, he gathered a, a buck 20. 120, excuse me. Some of you. It's happened before. And it's going to happen again. Which leads to the next thing. Okay, so we've seen the removal of Satan, the reign of saints, the return of Satan, and now in verses 8 through 10, John shows us the revolt of society. The revolt of society. Now, we, we know who Satan is, okay? We, we, we know how insidious he is. We know how blasphemous he is. We know how ferocious he is. And, and, and so listen, I, I, what I want you to imagine right now is Satan for a thousand years... <laughs> after 6,000 years of going to and fro in the earth, anywhere he wanted to go. And he's been pinned up for 1,000 years, just like a caged lion. And verse 8 says that he shall go out when... He shall go out to deceive the nations. He's going to pick up right where he left off shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, the four main points of the compass. John says that he is going to, at that point, he's going to go on a rampage to the north, the south, the east, and the west. Look at the rest of the verse. Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. And what John does here is he gives these enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of the millennium, the symbolic title, Gog and Magog, naming them after the invading force that Ezekiel 38 and 39 says will come upon the nation of Israel during the tribulation period. And go on in verse 8. The number of whom is as the sand of the sea and this will give you an idea of that population explosion that we were talking about just a little bit ago but do, do recognize this y'all that this is the number satan is actually successful in deceiving their number is as the sand of the sea verse 9 
And they, these satanically deceived rebels, went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, which of course is Jerusalem, where our Lord's throne will be. Okay, and Satan and his army will move to attack the Lord and his saints. And I love the last part of verse 9. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. You just got to love it, man. The entire battle is 12 words long. (laughs) Not a shot will be fired. Not a single bomb will be dropped. But listen. A laser beam of fire issues forth out of heaven and zap fries every last one of them, including Satan. And, and, and listen, you know, I don't think we can ever forget that though the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 and verse 16 that our God is love. He doesn't just love. He is love. But don't ever forget also that the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 24 and Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 29 that our God is a consuming fire. And at the end of the millennium, His consuming fire that is simply a part of his very essence. It's who he is just as much as he is love. That consuming fire will be unleashed on these rebels and physically devour them. They'll be reduced to a pile of ashes just like in a cremation and their souls will go immediately to hell as they await their final sentencing which is in verses 11 through 15 we're not going to be able to get there in this conference but listen they're going to hell but they're and they're awaiting their final sentencing and that is really for them at this period of time only going to be a short period of time verse 10 lets us know that god will deal with their leader, verse 10 says, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are, who by this time will have been there for how long? thousand years. And once Satan is cast in there, contrary to the trendy trash about you know, ultimately, God and the devil are going to, you know, kiss and make up. Do you, do you understand that? That stuff is out there right now. It's crazy. The end of verse 10 says that he, that is Satan, shall be tormented day and night forever and ever and we'll conclude with this for the remainder of eternity satan will forever get 
what he deserves. And what's even better news than that is for the remainder of eternity, Jesus will forever get what he deserves. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen.